Awesome. Thanks, Chris and team. Let me uh, invite our kids to head back to be with our team in Transformation Station. They'll head down to the Boys and Girls Club and have an awesome morning down there as they have uh, appropriate activities for them as well as uh, some some age-appropriate teaching uh, from God's Word. And I'd like to invite the rest of you to open your copy or turn on your app. Uh, to John chapter 20. We'll be uh, starting actually in uh, the last few verses of chapter 19 uh, this morning. And uh, if you're using one of the Bibles we provide for you, it's page 906. So if, uh, if you need a Bible, if you'd like a new Bible, please take this. It's our gift to you. Um, we're really grateful that you are here. And um, just let me uh, really quickly uh, welcome all of our surf teams who have come from uh, different states across the country to serve with us uh, during Serve Medford Week. We're very thankful you're here. We have high expectations of how God's going to use you uh, as you serve along with us and serve our great city here in Medford. So thank you. It's going to be a lot of fun uh, this week uh, serving together. Uh, your churches and our church. And then also, let me welcome any of our guests. As Pastor John already uh, mentioned, we're so thankful to have you with us. And uh, if you're new, I want to give you a heads up. Next week after the service, we're hosting a light luncheon. It's free called Next. And it's just a great way to meet other people in the life of our church, as well as uh, get to hear a little bit more about who we are and what we're about. So if you're able to come next week, please plan to stick around for that time uh, after the service. Well, uh, if you are new, uh, you have picked an unbelievable Sunday to come and be a part uh, of our time of worship because we are wrapping up a study in the Gospel of John. John was one of uh, Jesus' closest friends and followers. And we're in chapter 20 this week, and we have hit the epicenter of the Jesus story, the story of the Bible, and if this is true, all of human history in the story of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So what I want to do is read this entire account for us, and then we're going to have some fun breaking it down together as we hear from God's Word. So let me start in verse 38 of chapter 19, and I'll read through chapter 20. John writes this, after these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. They took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, Redemption's Hill, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Now on the first day of the week, that would be Sunday, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. And saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. That's John's way of referring to himself. uh, And said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have lain him. 
So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were running toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he, Jesus, must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, who was one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and I place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. 
Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Let's pray together. God, thank you for giving us this story. God, that we believe is more than just a story, but it is the story of all stories. And so, God, even in these moments as we consider the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ, God, would you help us to be like Thomas, where we can be honest with our doubts, but that we can come to that place of faith, whether for the first time or for the the, the thousandth time. God, we can all take a step of faith this morning. And so, God, help us to see you, and God, we ask that you would speak to us right where we are and that you would lead us to uh, the next step that you have for us in our journey of faith. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. In this story, you have so many different storylines that beg their own kind of focus and attention. First, you have this polarizing figure, Jesus of Nazareth, who some, when they heard his teaching and saw his miraculous works, they said, hey, we want to make this guy king over us now, an earthly king. And then you had some who understood at a deeper level that Jesus was the long-promised king that God would send to deliver his people and all people into a better kingdom than the one that they were experiencing in this life and in this world. And then you have the Romans and the Jews who, because Jesus didn't deny that he was God's long-promised king, uh, not only tried to kill him, but actually accomplished that task and put him to death by crucifixion. And so we find this, this story of crucifixion. Then we find a man named Joseph of Arimathea who uh, was a follower of Jesus, but secretly because he feared what, what others would, would think of him and, and say about him and the consequences that might come along with him saying, hey, I, I belong to Christ. I follow this, this man named Jesus. And so he, along with another man named Nicodemus, who we saw in chapter 3 of John, who uh, was asking Jesus, basically, how can I enter the kingdom of God? And, and Jesus is saying, hey, you need to be re born from the inside out. You need to have a new start, a new life that I can give you if you would believe in me and what I will do for you. And so I love that it seems Nicodemus has truly been changed from the inside out. It seems that Nicodemus has been born again. And so they come and they take care of the body of Jesus. They bury him. But then Three days later, on that third day, Jesus was killed on Friday, Saturday, Sunday. A woman named Mary Magdalene, she comes to the tomb, and she also was a friend and a follower of Jesus. 
And presumably she goes there to mourn. And, and when she gets there, she sees that the tomb is, is rolled away. And, and so she assumes that someone has taken the body of Jesus to another place. And she is all upset about it. She goes and she tells two of Jesus' closest disciples, Peter and John, and they have this unplanned foot race to the tomb, and John is like this humble rider. He doesn't even refer to himself in first person. I'm just the disciple who Jesus loved, and then, you know, I'm a little bit faster than Peter, so I actually beat him to the tomb, you know what I'm saying? And, and he stops when he gets there, and he's a, he's a little more, you know, reserved than, than his buddy Peter, so he stops and he looks in. He doesn't see Jesus. Peter just barrels by him and says... Yes, he is not here. John walks in behind him and, and, and says that there seems to be this kind of uh, air of amazement that, that there is belief that is beginning to be sparked from John and perhaps Peter as well. It says that they didn't understand yet that Jesus had said he would rise, just like the, the Old Testament uh, had, had said about him, the, the, the books in the Bible that were written so many centuries before the arrival of Jesus. And so while some were perhaps believing or beginning to believe that, yes, this could be true, there was then Mary, who is weeping because she does not understand what's going on. So much so that then she stoops in again and she sees two angels who ask her, why is she crying? Only to turn around and suppose she's hearing from the gardener who actually is Jesus. And he also asks, why are you crying? Now, tears at a graveside are pretty understandable, right? So these, these questions are not cold questions. These questions are to get her to think about what's going on so that she can discover that there's more than meets the eye in her experience. And so Jesus, in a very powerful and personally profound word, just says, Mary. And she recognizes his voice. And she runs to him and she wraps her arms around him, now understanding that Jesus has not been moved. Jesus is alive. The Romans and the Jews in their power thought that they could stop him, but Jesus, in a way like the world has never seen, miraculously raises himself by his own power, the power of God, and proves himself to be unstoppable. And so I want to pose to us today that, you know, we, we have a tradition in, you know, the Christian church that everyone, most everyone is well aware of, that on Easter we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, okay? But the resurrection, if it is true, is so pivotal, is so monumental that it should be the event that we order our lives around and we reflect on all the time. I mean, Jesus was either stopped and we can go and look for another savior or Jesus is unstoppable and he demands the entire focus of our lives. And not only that, he invites us in then to join him this unstoppable God in his unstoppable mission. And that is my invitation for all of us today. To join the 
unstoppable mission of our unstoppable God. I just want to break this kind of story down in a couple of parts with a couple of encouragements for all of us, including me today. All right, and the first one is this, that number one, we can hand over our doubts and trust the unstoppable Christ. I mean, I don't, I don't care. I'm just going to go on a limb here. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. There is probably some point in your journey, even if you came to faith at a young age where you have kind of stepped back and said, you know what? This is a huge claim. Jesus died. We can all kind of get on board with that. That is historically like hard to even argue with. But when it comes to the resurrection, there is certainly debate on both sides. And so I would assume that most of us have had a moment, maybe you wouldn't call it a crisis of faith, maybe you would, but, but at least a moment where we've, we've said like, hey, is this really true? Like Jesus was dead and he became undead. That is a major, major claim. And we wrestle with this question. Did Jesus die and remain dead? Or did Jesus die and prove himself to be, as some have said, death proof? This would be hard for most to believe, and this was certainly for the case for a man named Thomas. Thomas was one of 12 men handpicked by Jesus to be amongst his closest followers. And Thomas missed the big moment when Jesus showed up to uh, the, the room where his disciples were gathered. Okay, so it's like that moment when you're watching a movie and you just have to run to the restroom or you go get the popcorn, you know what I'm saying? And, and then you come back and you hear like everyone's locked in, the oohs and ahs, and you're thinking, man, what did I just miss? Um, this, was, this was kind of like that, only like infinitely greater, okay, because, you know, movies, Jesus, Son of God, resurrection. Okay, that's a little bit. Um, you, you feel me on that, right? Like the Thomas was not there. He missed it. And we would assume that when the other 10 disciples caught up with Thomas and said, Thomas, he's not dead, he's alive, that Thomas would start jumping for joy. You know what I'm saying? High fives, fist pumps, shoulder bumps, um, you know, outfield picture taken, Jackie Bradley, you know, whatever like celebration they had. If you go to Fenway and we get a win this week, you'll see what I'm talking about. The outfield has this little ceremony that they do now. Um, but, But you would think that he would just be incredibly elated, or perhaps even that he would just break down into tears saying, yes, it is true. What he said is true. But that's not what happens. Thomas says, that can't be true. Not only that, Thomas says, I am not going to believe that unless I see the nail prints in his hands and the place in his side where the spear entered. And I will never believe unless I see it. Thomas was the prototypical empiricist, okay? That means he wanted evidence. He wanted hard proof that Jesus was truly alive. He doubted the resurrection. And if we're being honest, doubt is a companion of so many of us. 
We all wrestle with doubts. Perhaps it's doubts about God's existence or doubts about Jesus being the Son of God and raised from the dead, and could I really trust this person, and should I really give my life over to this person? Doubts about if God cares about us. Doubts about if God can work in my life. Sometimes we doubt others. Sometimes we doubt ourselves. Some things are hard to believe. We all have these no-way moments. And if you come today and you're saying, like, this story, I've heard it before, but now that I'm taking a deeper look, like, I'm still in that kind of place of no way. It's too hard for me to believe. I just want to propose some considerations for you today and some, some, some evidence as to why I believe and many believe that Jesus was truly raised from the dead. And perhaps, perhaps you would at least walk out of here today and say, you know what, I may not yet believe that, but this story of the resurrection is much more plausible than I gave credit for, uh, you know, before I came in here today. And perhaps some of you, and this is my prayer, some of you today who do not yet believe in the resurrection of Jesus would say, you know what, This adds up, I'm all in with who he is and what he has done. This is legit, and I will follow him. So so let me just throw out a few thoughts for you here, okay? A, A case for the resurrection. Not comprehensive, not exhaustive, but I think some great food for thought, okay? Number one, alternative theories against the resurrection lack strength. Alternative theories lack strength. Say, um, what are you talking about? Well, there are a lot of theories about what happened to Jesus' body. And I don't have time to explain them all today. I don't have time to try to poke holes in all of them today. But you have theories like the swoon theory, which says Jesus didn't really die. His body just kind of was in a, a restful state, and then he came back to life. And the quick argument against that, okay, this one's for free, is that the Romans were really good at killing people. I'm just going to drop it right there, all right? So the swoon theory, I'm not buying it, all right? You also have the uh, stolen body theory, the hallucination theory, the spiritual resurrection theory, and impersonation uh, theory. And so if you want a resource on on this, I would recommend um, the case for the resurrection of Jesus by Gary Habermas and Michael Lycona. Really good book on this topic. Okay, so, so number one, there are a lot of other theories about what happened to Jesus' body, and I'm just saying they don't really add up, and we'll kind of pull out a few highlights as to why those um, uh, don't ha- add up as we move forward. Number two, listen, no one expected this. No one in the first century was waiting at the tomb for the earth to shake and the stone to roll away. And you know what? Hey, here he is, like he said. Okay, not even the Jews who did believe in an actual resurrection at the end of history thought anyone, including the Messiah, would be raised in the middle of history. So I know we're like, man, we live in 2016. We live in the Athens of America. Man, we're so smart. We, we have our PhDs in, in chemistry and biology and, and, and all of the, like, and, and the rest of us who aren't that smart. All right, thank you. That's a lot of you in here too, not just me. Um, a lot of us in this room who, you know, know modern science, we would just assume like, well, these per- people in the first century, like they were so naive that they must have all believed in, in the supernatural in such a way that they would all, you know, believe that the resurrection was coming, but that was not the case. No one expected 
this to happen. Not the Jews, not the Romans, not the Greeks. No one expected resurrection. Number three, then you have the empty tomb and the witness of the early church. And so the empty tomb is like, what are you talking about? Well, the tomb is empty. There was no body there. And I'm just saying, like the the Jews and the Romans, they had plenty of motivation and and incentive to track that body down. But they could not produce the body of Jesus. But then you also have the witness of the early church. Not only did Jesus appear to his closest followers on the day he raised from the dead, but Paul would write, another person that Jesus appeared to, that uh, he appeared to more than 500 people at one time, most of whom are still alive. In other words, like if you doubt this, Corinthians, just like go, go check some sources and talk to those who saw him. If that wasn't enough, you also have women as the first witnesses. We just read it, Mary Magdalene, to the resurrection of Jesus. Listen, if the disciples were trying to make up a fictitious tale, they would not insert women as the first witnesses to the story because in the first century, thankfully this is not the case today, but in the first century, women were not credible witnesses in a court of law. So why would, why would the church make up this story and present it in this way? Well, perhaps Jesus is alive. Number four, the growth and expansion of the early church. How do you explain the sudden transformation of a group of men and women who, as it says right here, they were, they were tucked away. They were hiding. The doors were locked. If we belong to the person that was just crucified and our allegiance is to him, then we we are next on the chopping block, right? And so they they were fearful, they were hiding, and now all of a sudden they are fearless and they're saying, look, if death can't stop our leader, then I don't think it can stop us either. Which leads us to a fifth consideration, the, the death of the disciples. There were 10 to 12 other messianic movements in the century before and after Jesus. All of the followers of those so-called messiahs either gave up the movement or they found themselves a new messiah. But this was not the case with the followers of Jesus. Why would these followers spend their entire lives testifying to the resurrection of Jesus and then die a martyr's death if they knew it to be a lie. And then just let me offer three more thoughts for you. And these are more personal. These are less kind of intellectual, academic, okay? Um, number one, could, could I just encourage you, no matter what, if this is like the first time you're ever hearing, hey, Jesus is, is God, he's the son of God, he was raised from the dead. Could, could I at least encourage you, give, give this a fair shake. Like really do the research, really dive in, because this is, this is, I would say, the most massive claim the world has ever known, that a person claimed to be God and he died and then rose to life. I think that's just worth a little more than, you know, 40 minutes of your attention if you're yet to believe. 
I don't say that with arrogance. I just say that as a friend talking to another friend. And I've shared that with many of my friends before. Hey, you may not believe like I believe, but, but isn't this worth deeper thought and consideration? And then, and then number two, um, I know some people might say, well, I can never be a person of faith like you. I just, I demand more evidence. And, I, I, and so, yes, there's evidence, but, but, but can we just back up and kind of undercut a little false assumption there that there are some people of faith and there are some people of just pure reason, of, of pure kind of scientific method and, and, and need all the evidence, okay? Um, we all have faith. In fact, listen to the words of not the most famous agnostic um, in, our, in our world, but one of the most famous self-proclaimed atheists who said this. Uh, his name is Richard Dawkins. He said, I cannot know for certain, but I think God is improbable, and I live my life on the assumption he is not there. I can't prove to you today that without it beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is raised, but neither can Richard Dawkins prove that he is not raised. So I take a step of faith, and so does he. And then finally, and this one hits closest to home, and this is one that gets me most excited, okay? The resurrection of Jesus completes the story of our world. So as Tim Keller, pastor of New York City, says, the, he says, um, even if you do not believe the resurrection is true, you should want it to be true. Even if the resurrection is not true, you should want it to be true. Okay, I don't have time to unpack all of this, but let me just, just give you a few thoughts, okay? Number one, if Jesus defeats death, that means that everyone who is on board with him gets to participate in his victory where death takes the L and we get the W because of what he's done for us, okay? So life begins now abundantly in our experience today, and life is experienced eternally with him for those who know him and follow him. So that's, that's pretty nice, okay? But, but it's not just like way out there, okay? It is power now. Like, go read Ephesians chapter 1 where, where Paul makes this radical statement in his prayer for these people in the city of Ephesus in modern-day Turkey where he says, look, the power, the same power, same power. Somebody say same power. Same power, thank you. Same power that raised Jesus from the dead is now at work in you who believe. So yes, we're imperfect, but we have the resources to do everything that God has called us to do. And also related to that, there is nothing that we do in this life that honors God that is in vain. At the very end of his uh, classic chapter, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, look, Therefore, you be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, because your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Everything that you do, all of your work, it's not in vain. Why? Because Jesus is alive. He has the last word. He will see us through. Thank you. That's worth the name, man, for sure. How about, how about this? All right, if that hasn't grabbed you yet, and you, you don't want that kind of story to be true, like we can really know God, and we can really live for God, and we can really live with God forever, like if that doesn't get you excited, then maybe this will, right? Like, because Jesus is raised, that is the down payment on the guarantee that now he will remake not just a life, but all things. 
So if you read the last couple of chapters of the Bible, what we find there is that there's a new kingdom with a new heavens and a new earth, and there there will be no more crying, no more sickness, no more suffering, no more cancer, no more abuse, no more discouragement, no more sighs of frustration. We live in a world that God made, and God made it perfect and good. Everything was according to his design. And then we put our, as one of my friends used to say, our grubby little paws on God's good creation, and that caused some major consequences in our relationship with God and our relationship with one another. Brokenness entered our world, but that's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus died. That's why Jesus was raised, so that if we get on board with him, we can be a part of this new creation project where everything's going to be restored, healed, and made whole. That's why the resurrection matters. When we see someone at the end of their life, perhaps suffering from some type of sickness, we, we might hear someone say, well, they're just a, a shadow of their former selves. You ever heard someone say that? I mean, just, man, you look at them, it's so sad, they're just a shadow of the person they used to be. But now, as N.T. Wright says, um, we uh, are, are, are now just a shadow of our future selves. We're just like, what you see now is not what you're going to get for eternity. And those that you know, like, that's really good, Tina. You got some room to improve. Okay, but like, we, <laughs> thank you. Yeah, it's not that funny. Um, but yes, real glorious body that we will experience perfect forever. <laughs> and so it's my prayer that you will examine the evidence. And perhaps even, I know this is quick, and I know there's a lot to, to consider, but, but perhaps you would say, you know what, it's more plausible than I thought. And perhaps some of you would say, you know what, it, it, sounds, it sounds true. It, it, it sounds too, so good that it's not too good to be true. It must be true. And I need to get in on this, what Jesus has done for us. And so perhaps today you would make a similar confession as Thomas made in verse 28 that we read where he sees Christ and he says, my Lord and my God. In other words, Jesus, you, you are over all things. You are the king of all things. You are God. You can't get any higher than that. But you are not just Lord and you are not just God. You are my Lord and you are my God. This is why John wrote this gospel. We saw in the last two verses of this chapter, he said, Jesus did many other things. I can't even put them all in a book. But I wrote these things so that you might believe that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that by believing in him, you might have life in his name. So what John, like John spent a lot of time with a lot of ink to write all of this down to press us past, past the myth of neutrality. So many people are neutral when it comes to Christ. He was a good guy. I'm not sure if he's God. Okay, like Jesus doesn't leave us with those options. And that's why John wrote this gospel. So that we could see who Jesus is and we could believe in who he is and that we could have life through who he is. 
So I hope today perhaps you will hand over your doubts and put your trust in the unstoppable Christ. And if you have done that, then you get to join in on his unstoppable mission. Look back at verse 21 of chapter 20. Jesus, when he shows up, he speaks this word peace to them. He says it three different times. They needed a little peace in their life after all the events of, of his crucifixion. And then, he, and then he says these words. He, he, he commissions them. He gives them an assignment. He says, as the Father has sent me into the world, now I am sending you out into the world. In other words, let me translate. God the Father sent God the Son with a mission. And now God the Son, Jesus, sends everyone who follows him, his, his disciples, not only in that day, but now in our day, he sends us out to be on mission with him and for him. And so just a few thoughts here on what this looks like, okay? If you are in Christ, then you have been sent out by Christ to accomplish his mission. And if we can just kind of pause and slow down a little bit on that, because I know, like, especially, man, we're, we're all about God's mission at Redemption Hill. Right? We, we say we exist to glorify God by, by living out his mission as a community of people transformed by the gospel. So we, we try to talk about mission a lot because, you know, Jesus didn't die for us so that we can just kind of come and sit on the sidelines. But he, he, he gives us life so that we can live and make a difference in, in those around us. And, and so um, maybe, though, because we talk about mission a lot, you, you start to think, like, well, well, Tanner and the pastors and the leaders, you know, like, they're just kind of trying to twist my arm again. It's like serve med for a week, community fun night's coming, and, oh, man, talking about loving our neighbors again. And, you know, like, in my workplace, even there, I got to represent Jesus. Man, that's a lot of my time. And, uh, and, and like, who's, who's sending you? <laughs> Not me. Me and you, you and me, we, we are sent by him. He sends us. That should give us all the confidence that we need in the world, like Jesus himself sends us out to represent him wherever we are. So now every day we live sent. You follow me? Like, no matter where we are, we, there's no, like, time clock for mission, okay? We don't punch in and, and we don't clock in, clock out, like, you know, Sunday is Sunday, like, they have my mission, you know, just a little time window gap, you know, after church, like, yeah, this is mission time, later, free time. No, we're, we're all, like, Jesus has sent us, wherever we are, we're on mission, and so you say, like, Tanner, that sounds good. And maybe that even, like, would, based on what Jesus is saying, like, okay, he sent us in every day. Like, we're on a mission. Well, what does that look like? Let me just give you a simple framework for what this can look like. And I hope you'll take it with you, not just today, but Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, until you die. All right? That covers every single day of your life, I think. Yeah, because I said today. All right? Today to Saturday, every day of your life, you're living like this. We live in such a way that what we do and why we do it just naturally comes out, all right? What we do and why we do it just naturally comes out. So just how we live our lives, how we speak a kind word, how we take time to answer the phone call that we didn't really want to answer. I'm just being real. Sometimes that's, that's me. 
to give of ourselves, to be kind, to forgive when we don't really want to forgive. And, and we just get to start explaining that we do what we do because of who he is and what he's done for us. Serve Medford. I mean, why are we going to be working at the Boys and Girls Club and helping out with some projects at the Chevalier and cleaning parks and, um, you know, putting on kids' program and dishing out food and clothing to needy families around Medford? I mean, all of these are opportunities to say, look, God has served us. God has been generous to us. The least that we can do is take a bit of our time and resources and finances and give it away for the sake of someone else. What we do and why we do it. You're always doing something. So as long as that something is good, I would commend to you to to be ready to tell someone why you're about it and why you're doing it. Comprehensive as can be. Um, Number two, what about this? What we see and why we see it that way. Not just what we do and why we do it, but what we see and why we see it that, that way. We've been talking about Dallas, and we've been talking about um, all of the, 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 the just injustices um, in, our, in our country over the past couple of weeks. We've been thinking about that. And so, so can we not uh, be for justice, saying black lives matter, blue lives matter, all lives matter, because God is a God of justice. He wants justice. And we cry out for justice because we're made in his image. God is a God of truth. And so we represent the truth and we speak the truth no matter where we are. People are sick and struggling. Can we not be ready to tell them that God made a better world and the better forever world is coming? It's like, of course we're frustrated. Of course we're disappointed and weary when we experience all of these these. Uh, troubles in our world. Or what about this? We already talked about the Red Sox, but this one's too good to pass up. Um, you know, w- what about that that big poppy blast in the ninth inning? I mean, this, this man's batting 330. He's almost 40 years old. I mean, this is incredible. Like, when, when, when 38,000 people erupt into celebration, like, I know this is like maybe not like in that moment you turn to your friends like, hey, you know why everybody's celebrating? Because God made us to thirst for victory and celebration, so we absolutely love this, and God made us to like celebrate forever in his presence, all right? Like, you might not like, you might not offer that up, you know, in, in the outfield bleachers, um, but just at some point, I'm just saying like at some point, you can, like, here's the point, you can get to the gospel from any circumstance, no matter where you are. Yo, that's crazy. I know we're like, kind of like, it's hard to sometimes talk about our faith and we're apprehensive and we're fearful, but if we just start what we do and why we do it, what we see and why we see it that way, there is not a moment in our day or week when we can't get to the cross and the resurrection of Jesus and say, you know what, hey, I have believed this, this has changed my life, and I would love to tell you more about it and why I think this is so pivotal and worthy of your consideration. Let's be about that this week, right? Whether you're in one Serve Medford effort or community fun night or not. And let me just say this, okay? This might, this might require some boldness. This might, uh, Hudson Taylor, I hope I can remember the quote. I saw it on Instagram this week. He said, um, there are, if there are any exploits for God that don't contain risk, then that means there's no need for faith, right? So, so in other words, I, I butchered that quote for sure, but, but what Taylor is saying is, look, like, take some risk for God 
and know that, yeah, you're going you're gonna to have to step out. You're going to have to be bold. You're going to have to get uncomfortable a little bit. But it's, but it's worth it. It's worth it. If, if this news is true, there is no higher privilege than knowing God through Christ and introducing others to God through Christ. So as we go, just, let's just, let me just bring us back very briefly to verses 22 and 23. Because you're like saying, this is a big assignment, Tanner. These are big truths. If this is all true, how do I get on board with this? Well, let me just say this. God gives us everything we need for this mission, this unstoppable mission. He, he, he says this, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Okay, so we go in the peace and the forgiveness of Christ. We bring that to people based on what he has done. I just was chatting with a friend this week with two other friends who said, Jesus is my Lord and my God this week. And so we were just saying, you know what? If, If you're saying Jesus is your Lord, man, you're in. God has changed you. He's forgiven you. He's brought you into his family. So that's, that's what it means when, when Jesus is saying, if you forgive anyone, then it's, it's done, okay? We don't forgive, like he forgives, but we, based on what he has done, can affirm that in someone's life as his followers, the church. And then number two, listen, we are sent in his power. He says, receive the Holy Spirit. The Spirit has been given to everyone who has turned to Christ and believed in Christ. And so now we have everything we need to live our lives for God and to be a part of his unstoppable mission. And so that should give us a lot of hope, a lot of joy, a lot of confidence, a lot of ready to step out and do this thing kind of attitude because this is God's deal. This is God's mission. And so let me just leave you with the words from a man in the first century who was actually opposing Christians but just made a a passing statement that seemed very reasonable to him, okay? John and Peter, these men who saw Christ, were under arrest, And there was a man who said, hey, why don't you let them go? And this is what he followed up with. He said, if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will find yourselves fighting against God. We can be a part of the unstoppable God and his unstoppable mission anywhere we are, everywhere we are because of what he has done. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you invite us to unending celebration. That we have everything because of who Christ is and what he's done. That that there's nothing that we lack in this life and certainly nothing to fear in the next life. For you are there and you are here and we are with you there and here. So God, I pray that that you would help us to understand, that you would help us to believe. For those that that, that came in with doubts or perhaps even still have doubts in their minds and their hearts, God, I pray that you would show them that you're real and show them that that Jesus is really alive and that they can put their faith in him and have their life changed from the inside out. God, I pray for them and I pray for all of us. God, that we would trust you, that we would put our faith in you and that we would do 
whatever you've called us to do, wherever you send us, God, that we are always sent, ready to be a part of your unstoppable mission. God, we pray that especially as we love and serve our city this week, as we display the gospel to people with how we serve and as we have the opportunities to tell them why we're doing what we're doing, God, give us many, many opportunities to share the hope that we have found in you this week. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.